you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. We will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for person of interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Jude, Anna, what is the sci-fi apocalypse scenario you would least like to endure? Sci-fi? Yeah, like you've got yeah, you've got like ecological disaster, uh, like comet ai alien invasion what is the what is the one that you don't want to do uh ecological disaster is pretty bad yeah i mean yeah but that we're already doing that so we can't can't really choose that that, yeah you shouldn't have listed that one sorry uh that would have been my vote as well sorry no you got to pick a sci-fi one a sci-fi one all right okay um whatever slowest yeah. Okay. I either want to be like, wiped out in an instant without knowing it was coming, or I want it, I want the opportunity to grovel to our new alien robot AI overlords and have them put some sort of a robotic implant in my brain so I can join them. Yeah. And I think I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go with the with the Horizon Zero Dawn answer of like what was you know the the knowledge of the inevitability of defeat oh yeah, and yeah, yeah like but it hasn't happened yet you're just like you just it's inevitable interesting okay speaking to someone with it, a parent it, i that's yeah i feel that the, that the the nihilism of it yeah that's why the ecological answer freaks me out because like i i often ponder uh with a great deal of uh anxiety and panic the fact that i i have brought a person into into being who has to live in this godforsaken environmental collapse that we have our parent our, our parents generation has created and that is a little too dark for this app for for this podcast especially <laughs> at 6 30 on a friday so let's keep rolling uh tonight we are covering the penultimate and final episodes of season three a house divided and deus ex machina i have a house divided to start us off but I was an idiot and didn't write the episode summary because I thought I I thought I had asked someone else to do it. So this is all on me. I apologize for the next five to ten minutes. This is what happens when you have too many people with names starting with J on the same Discord server. J U. Yep. <laughs> yeah, because it's because like, because normally it's like I can just type that and boop, I, like I'll I'll find you and it's no I apparently tagged myself in that and, <laughs> and June was like she was like yeah sure sounds fine and I'm like cool I, I don't have to worry about that and realized <laughs> I tagged myself in okay I oh. <laughs> so the machine has f- our our number this week we get five numbers 
They are Control, Senator Garrison, a U.S. general uh, who is the director of the NSA, Kyle Holcomb, the uh, security advisor to the president, and Greer. Um, What we find out is that Vigilance is staging a terrorist attack using infected computer chips um, that have a Stuxnet virus that wipes out New York City's power grid. The team is able to figure out that all five of these people are in New York for various reasons. Uh, Root tries to save control and garrison and the president's security detail. That doesn't work, however. Vigilance gets what they need. And um, Root, Hirsch, and John have to team up in a delightful bit of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, Root has her own team. Uh, These are the Japanese boy, uh, Daizo, who showed up earlier this season. Jason Greenfield, who was the uh, hacker that Vigilance was targeting, who got sent to, like, Columbia. And Daniel Casey, the dude from uh, Read Only Memory. And yeah, they're like they're like this weird little like black hacker group. I love yeah. them. Yeah, they're they're Roots they are, machine team. Yeah, they're this, the machine team. This is uh, this is like this is like the the Eureka crossover, except that we don't actually have a show about those. But I need it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the The terrorist attack takes out all power in New York City. Vigilance then uh, is able to find Greer. And they kidnap Greer and Harold to put everybody on trial. And also, we also get flashbacks this episode of Peter Collier's background. Uh, he was a law student whose brother was detained by the government on suspicion of terrorism on some very sketchy um, implications. Uh, his time in prison drove his brother, who was a rec- uh, recovering alcoholic, uh, to suicide and Peter Collier ends up blaming the government. Uh, and it's really implied that like uh, his brother was either a number or somebody related to a number. Mm-hmm. Again, I apologize. Just watch this episode. It's a fun one. It's a fun. This is like, this is a really fun season finale and I'm not doing it justice off my memory. <laughs> Let's just talk about things we liked because I wrote a lot about this episode. I just didn't write the yeah. summary. Yeah. My number one observation from this episode is I love how fast this becomes Root's team in the absence of of Harold. Yes. Like, Reese is trying to, like, hold it together in the last episode. But the minute Root shows up, it's like, okay, it's Root's, it's the Root show now. And she just takes over and Reese is just like, I guess, okay. Like, he's, like, sort of grumpily complaining, like, why aren't we finding Harold? She's like, chill, we're doing that. But also, I have, like, a world to save and other things. Plus, I also have to flirt with my girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, there's some, there's some good flirting in this one, too. Yeah. There, there's a point where, like, Root Huskily says, stay the course, Samin. And it's like, oh, hello. Yeah, they are, uh, no time for girl talk, I think, is what is, is... Shaw tries to go with her. Uh, so, so that's what. So that's what we're calling it these days. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I love her team too. I love that. Uh, I think it's Casey's reaction to seeing to, like when they open the door and Shaw and Reese are like, who are these fucking guys? And the, the other guys like um, Daiso is just like, hello. And the other two guys are like, Hey, it's these guys. And then Casey's like, you made me pull out my molars. <laughs> the reactions are so good. It's just like, yeah. and then there's Rude who's just like, yes, this is weird. Let's, we we're in a hurry. Can we get this out? Can we can we do this faster, please? Yeah, yeah. I I love everything about like Root taking over the team and just running with it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the things that I absolutely love in this episode is how we get to see all the times that Root's left over like the last season, or over the last like half season, and how it's formed into this whole. Thing this whole side operation now. Um, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Like we see them, we see them working in the background of doing something and you're led to believe, Oh, they're going to stop Samaritan. Um, yeah. They right? definitely give you the impression that they're going to use those servers. They've got a plan to try mm-hmm. and like sabotage Samaritan. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll find out what the plan was next episode. Yes. Yeah. It really is a miss that we did not get like, even a couple episodes about this team because they really do a great job of portraying the chemistry that Root's team has. Yeah. They really do feel like a group of people that work together and know each other. And it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a fun dynamic there. And I would, I I agree. I would have loved to have seen more of that group. And it feels like it's not just that she and the machine assembled a team of, people capable of doing what the machine needed. Um, They assembled a team of people who work together well, too. Yeah. Yeah. um, And get along together. From looking at all of it, it, it's putting together a lot of like-minded personalities. Mm -hmm. Of Mm -hmm. people who are, like, sort of... Casey Casey and uh, Greenfield are basically the same character. (laughs) 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 Like, sorry, but they are. No, I I really enjoy that. Enjoy the the two of those guys. The they're that I really enjoy that team dynamic that they show there, and uh, I like that Root has her little team. It's very humanizing for her that she hasn't been doing all this all on her own, like some sort of cyborg yeah. superhero. She's she's mm-hmm. got backup. She's got you know uh, a logistical team. She's got a support team. Um, it it's it's a really good detail. Yeah. Oh, and um, one of my favorite bits from this is actually Greer's conversations with Harold. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. As the you know the two of them are in that you know empty empty floor of an office building, and you know talking about the machine and talking about Samaritan and talking about like Harold's history with the machine and what Greer's motivations are. I love that everybody's response to learning what Harold did with the machine is, wow, that's really fucked up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and Harold and, and Harold's entire thing is like, I was trying to prevent Skynet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Uh, but it's so it means that we get it. It means that we finally get a motivation for Greer. Yeah. Because that's been something that's been missing from his character, essentially, other than like, you know, we can have some guesses that he wants like that he's like, 
you know, evil or what you know, wants power or wants money or something. Yeah. But his motivation is that he wants the world to be ruled by a fucking AI. Yeah. I it's interesting because Th- there it, it is. We we get the like we get the backstory that when he was very young, he lived through the blitz. Yeah. And that is an incredibly traumatic like that an incredibly traumatic moment in history. Um, yeah. And then he joined MI6 during the Cold War. (laughs) And we will learn more about this as the series goes on. But his sort of thesis statement is when he tells Harold that the era of the nation state is over. And that Greer Greer is a technocrat fascist. He just believes that like, like... he is somebody who believes that he is of the the breed of person who believes that an algorithm by definition is unfair or or no is unbiased. No, is if yeah, yeah, yeah. then and oh, oh, I have opinions yeah, on no, that. Yeah, because yeah, and and which is bullshit. We all like all three of us who work in computers know that it's complete bullshit. Yeah. But Greer believes that this artificial general intelligence will be a worthy God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's wild that like, like root, he's a true believer, right? Yeah. Yeah. As we'll see in the next episode, it's not just that he wants to use this AI to build as like a tool to build this, this world vision. He wants to install this thing and then be used by it. Yes. Like like Root, he is a true believer, and that's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um, especially when you consider the differences between the machine and Samaritan. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 fallacy the fallacy that that the algorithm or that the that the algorithm is like since it is a computer, un like inherently unbiased, is just like it's so pervasive. Yeah. And it's this is like it taken to its highest extreme and it's fascinating to see yeah it's the well the computer gave it to me it can't be wrong but this is a thing that we're seeing i like that we're de- we're specifically seeing a lot with like chatbots and mm-hmm. i was going to say i think it's fascinating that in 2022 2023 we are grappling with this very directly right now we're seeing mm-hmm. these chat bots that are wildly racist or subtly racist and and, and ones who deliver false information yeah but that's do that's the one i have a problem com- but do it with such confidence even yeah. when it's even when it's telling you i don't know the answer it's doing it with such confidence when it's giving you a wrong answer yeah right and also the like, more subtle biases where it's like some of this ai that doesn't recognize black or asian faces the way that it does white faces or it doesn't it can't discriminate between uh non-white faces as well as it does white faces and that kind of subtle bias Mm -hmm. coming from the designers i think it's really interesting that that's a relatively recent thing that we are seeing in technology in the public consciousness with this technology. I'm not saying that that's new to the technology, but I mean, other than the odd, like AOL chatbot memeing on Hitler, like 
these were not things that were in the public discussion about AI, but here going back to this show is not super recent. The, this night, it's nine years old at this point. Like yeah. this episode is nine years old. Yeah. 10 years ago, almost now this, we have th- this version, this depiction of AI as like, Oh, you can just make AI. God is depicted as the villain. And this, this viewpoint is shown is cast in a very skeptical light. And I think that's very forward thinking that the writers Mm -hmm. are identifying a problem, not necessarily that exact problem, but they see the, the heart of that problem that you can't depend on a machine being unbiased just because it's a machine. As you identify, as you, as you correctly, as you pointed out, like, they identify that problem really accurately in this episode. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it has been fascinating to see that kind of start to enter the public consciousness. You know, and, and even things like, you know, academic conferences, like five years ago, um, attending academic conferences, tons and tons of talks about, you know, we're going to build an algorithm, build an algorithm to make this unbiased. And now we're hitting, you know, the last, the last meeting I was at, it was tons and tons of talks about, you know, the algorithms that we make are inherently biased because we made them and we're human. Well, clearly you need an algorithm to test the algorithm. <laughs> it's algorithms all the way down. <sighs> yeah. Um, it's, it was, it's. I love when you say something piece. about somebody's profession and you, you accidentally hit on something that depresses them and you just get this sigh of just like, I could answer that, but fuck you. <laughs> Something that I I find very funny is the, the, the like the, you know looking at episode notes in here, um, the random dude who uh, Reese and Root stop in like a cafe bakery pulls out a P ninety, which if you're yeah. a Stargate oh fan, yes, uh, yes, was like oh my a, god, I recognize it instantly, and I'm not even somebody who recognizes guns. Yeah, no, I'm, not like you. The P ninety is an incredibly distinctive sci fi. Like it's it's a real life sci fi gun because you load the it's a it has a magazine that you load in the top, and you know it, it, it's like these like tube magazines that you use instead of like your standard things you jam on the bottom, but um. Something that is very funny is that in the scene, like apparently, if you slow it down, you can see that the P90 holds 50 rounds and you see exactly 50 rounds fired. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. And that, That's which ridiculous. Is very funny to me for like, as like, you know, as somebody who has previously on this show said, wait, how do you fire multiple rounds at this without recocking? Uh, that that just made me that made me laugh a yeah. little bit when I was looking at that. I was like, "Well, yeah, it does fire a lot of rounds, but yeah, no, it's on a on a much on a much more." I love this. Our boy Hirsch, who we get to learn his yeah. first name, George. Oh, and he is so good in these episodes. The look on his face when Shaw calls him George, he's like, "How dare you? I'm at work." <laughs> I know. And 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 the two of them bickering too. Oh, when, so good. When when he's like, "You tried to kill me," and she's like, "I didn't even fucking try to kill you. You actually killed me." Yeah, <laughs> you got better. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's very good. I left your heart beating for fuck's sake. <laughs> and he's just like so. He's so upset. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, no, I mean, these are the, these, 
spoiler alert for the next episode, Hirsch, Hirsch's, this is Hirsch's final ride, and my- Poor, poor one out for an icon. I mean- McTerminator. <laughs> McTerminator goes out like a king. Boris, Boris MacGyver, you, you were, you were killing out of these last two episodes. You, yeah. You're, you're, you're weird, like, I mean, there's been a lot, like, there's, there's been a lot of weird icons in this show. You are one of them. <laughs> it's like, like every single Hirsch moment of like both personality and lack of personality is all condensed into like the, the, <laughs> it's a good way know, of putting it down and shown in these episodes and it works so well. Okay, when Root comes, like when Root busts into the meeting with a gun and Control just says Agent Shaw and Shaw just ma'am, long time no gunfire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Shaw has such a great presence and there's, and control is such a great, what do you call it? Like scene partner for her. Cause the two of them have a very similar, like I, I attitude. love control. I love control. The like, what if you made an evil middle-aged soccer mom? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. Yeah. 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 You know, she's not she's not the like, you know, high glamour in stiletto heels and you know, that kind of villain. Like, you know, she's she's very like normal looking and bureaucratic looking. Yeah. Yeah. I like what I what I like about control is control is all the tropes that you normally associate with the ruthless national security zealot character mm-hmm. that's a man yep except they cast a woman for it and they changed nothing they didn't yeah they they changed nothing about the character except that they cast a woman for it and i love that that they didn't make her an iota less ruthless an iota less brutal an iota less cutthroat it's just yeah and it just works and I think that's really, really w- well done. And even in terms of like the casting and stuff that like they cast someone, you know, who has a lot of presence, but is fairly, you know, somewhat unassuming. Yeah. In, you know, that yeah. someone you wouldn't expect to be to have this sort of power like that. And she managed like that. I mean, she managed to hide from me f- in that first episode where we see her up until up until the twi- twist, basically. Yeah, yeah, that was a fun episode. To watch you to, to to observe you watching that was a fun one, yeah. Um, and that's and that's the sort of person that they would have cast for a dude too. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, you know, somebody who would be able to blend in because yeah. a lot of the a lot of the times when we see you know woman villains in TV and film, you know, it's um, you know, it's much more of the like praying mantis sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. The, the like per, the person who just like exudes power. Yeah. Um, I really hate Collier, and I'm so glad that we're almost done with him. Why? I think mean, that's it's really because I find yeah. I find his entire premise really dumb. I don't know why he bothers me so much, but I think here's what I think it is. I think it's because of the because of the next episode and how absolutely shin just like off the wall he got played he goes down like an absolute chump 
in Deus Ex Machina. And I think it's very hard to go back and rewatch the show and see him and read him with any credibility. I don't know. I feel I felt like it was a perfect, perfect example of how somebody can become radicalized and not even and like yeah. not realize not realize that the radicalization is in fact manipulation. Yeah. I when mean, I go because... back and watch it, I just all I see is him not I just see someone I don't know. I, I don't see I guess for me it's hard to respect you know how there's always characters in fiction where there's like the zealot that's talking a lot of talking points, but you know that what they're saying is is absolutely like nonsense, like it can't possibly function or work and nobody believes them. And everybody's kind of like laughing at this crazy zealot. That's the vibe I get off him when I watch him. And it's hard to respect a character when you don't respect their aims uh, or think that there's any, or, or their rationale. You know what I mean? I mean- I mean, I, think, I expect the rat. I I respect the rationale, just yeah. not the actions that he chooses to take. Yeah, I, he like because because what we get from this because we get from the backstory here and what we'll see in in his his flashbacks the next episode is like he was somebody who was purposefully manipulated along a really like especially when you look at how mm-hmm. especially like right wing groups. Ex- mm-hmm push people to extremism and radicalize people. I mean, this yeah. is like you, you take somebody who was concretely harmed by something yeah, and then you push them to the edge and you then you push them over it. Yeah. You scapegoat, you like you scapegoat and radicalize them and Collier's end goals are not realistic, but that, yeah, but he, d- but that doesn't matter to Collier because he is somebody who's been hurt. Um, and like that in, in the end, he is not somebody who's really seeking like he is not seeking justice on any level as we will talk about i'm sure in the next episode he -hmm. is somebody who is hurt and wants to hurt people yeah yeah no i i I get that i think i like i said i think my my reaction to him has a lot less to do with um like a rational reaction to his motives and less and more of vibe that i get off him in rewatch because I don't, I I don't remember having a bad reaction to him on my first watch. It was just because I I don't. I remember having a very negative reaction to the discovery that he had been chumped by Decima. But I, th- I think it. I don't know because I. It'll be interesting to rewatch because. Yeah. Ahead, I, well, and also bear in mind this was ten. I watched it ten years ago live, yeah. and I think the radicalization element plays played differently ten years ago than than it does necessarily today because the because the sense of like rewatching it now is i don't think collier's a chump is like yeah. I, I like i i definitely don't think that like I well, think he's that was my read on it when yeah. i first watched it is what i'm saying i had a very yeah. different i perceived his arc very differently the first time i watched it and i think that colors my that's colored my perception of him i i felt like it that collier is clearly a very intelligent person i felt like it was uh nobody is immune to propaganda Right. Interesting. That you you find the key, like anybody has a key, you know, has has a keyhole, and you know you put the, you yeah, set yeah. the right sequence of you know events in motion. You say the right things, and like anybody will fall. Like it doesn't matter if you're you know the an absolute super genius. Nobody is immune to propaganda, and or the know, president of the United States say, <laughs> yeah, you know, just 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 to pick an example, completely at random. Yeah. yeah. 
I that's what I felt is that like you know it's a perfect example of somebody who you know is so intelligent in some ways that he doesn't see his own blind spots. You know, the, the intelligent person who believes that he is, in fact, immune to propaganda and immune to manipulation, because clearly, clearly he's smart enough to see through any form of manipulation. Yeah. I have one, like, there's one little thing. There's a, there's a single shot in this episode when, like, the power goes out and the TV's, like, there. you get the, like, the the police stand by TV screen. Oh, and fuck, yeah. like I know it's a I know it's a historical thing and like you know this is a thing that you would see when t- stations went off the air but all I could think was fallout I'm sorry I uh, same same <laughs> I was like I literally was like oh wait so they were f- playing fallout <laughs> yeah I mean because it's just it's the only like uh, like because we don't have this anymore every TV right. station is 24 seven now it's, yeah it's the, it's the only context that we have now for it is fallout yeah. <laughs> it's wild that's really funny it's um oh man oh no oh no it's it's like it's like all the people who now don't know what the save icon means <laughs> this is unrelated but i t- did i tell you how hard i got age gapped the other uh, a couple of weeks ago now no. we were i guess this was uh, this is like two or three months ago, and we were uh, out buying pumpkins with one of Oliver's friends, and his friend has an older sister who's like 13, and she made a comment ar- around the fact, we were talking about computers and stuff, and she made a comment to the f- uh, to the effect of, um, her dad said something, and he's my age, and she's like, uh, all you old people say that, and he's not old. She's like, what do you know? You were born in the late 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh, ouch. oh my oh. God. And I was just like, you're 13. So I appreciate that you, you, you're you trying to be hurtful, but that still hurts. But <laughs> Jesus also, Christ. Oh, what a burn. Like that kid, that kid's an icon. Right. The late, the late 1900s. Jesus Christ. Way to make me feel like a fucking vampire. It's like it's like every every time I watch that the episode of Deep Deep Space Nine where Bashir turns thirty and I'm like, oh, I just crumbled into dust. <laughs> this is my other age related fact. Uh, do you remember the movie Father of the Bride? No, no, sorry. <laughs> but remember, I'm not a good judge. I remember, I'm not a good judge of like remembering movies. Uh, with um, Steve, what's his name? With the white hair and plays the banjo um steve martin. with steve martin and it doesn't matter anyway uh this movie was made in the 90s and uh they're portrayed as like he's got white hair and he's got a kid in college and they're portrayed as like old right because mm-hmm. he's got like white hair and like he's a dad and he's about to be his daughter's about to be married do you know how old they're supposed to be in that movie 45 45 <laughs> uh. Uh, uh. our last episode of the season is <laughs> season three episode 23 days ex machina um on i believe you have this one take us away yep, that's me uh so this one's written by greg plagman and david slack and directed by chris fisher so we pick up from the last episode and new york city is blacked out and shit has gotten real 
Uh, Collier is off the races on his kangaroo court and sets the tone by murdering his first defendant. Dude, I thought you went to law school. He went to law school. He apparently didn't graduate. <laughs> apparently. Uh, apparently didn't learn anything other than, like, jury jury intimidation is cool. <laughs> B is a lawyer. <laughs> So uh, n- next up on on the stand is Garrison, uh, who points the finger at Control, um, who is then, of course, next up and stonily refuses to answer any and all questions. I can neither confirm nor deny anything. <laughs> um, so the jury uh, finds her guilty and Collier is about to shoot her as well when Finch himself confesses to building the machine. Finch takes a stand next and agrees to tell Collier everything on the condition that he lets everyone else go. He details his motivations for building the machine and describes the safeguards that he put in place. But Collier is frustrated about what Harold doesn't know, namely the location of the machine or how to shut it off. But let's pause and rewind to the rest of our split party. Uh, Based on Root's comms, Shaw realizes that Root is on a suicide mission in the Samaritan server warehouse and takes off to help her girlfriend. (laughs) <laughs> this, of course, leaves John with Hirsch, his new best friend, uh, and they are shortly joined by Fusco and Bear. The two of them masquerade as Vigilance members and use the disguise to get info on where Vigilance is holding Harold and the others. They arrive at the courthouse to find dead Vigilance goons and no Harold, as Desma has taken Collier and Harold hostage. Hirsch finds a bomb in the basement and attempts to disarm it, while John continues to f- try to fight his way to Harold. Greer reveals to Harold and Collier that, in fact, it was he who founded Vigilance uh, to be his pawn, um, that they have not, in fact, streamed any of this kangaroo court anywhere um, other than on Vigilance's own computers, and uh, and that uh, Vigilance blowing up the courthouse with that big bomb uh, with lots of hostages and cops inside, is just the terrorist act he needs to get control of the government feeds and bring Samaritan online. Hirsch doesn't disarm the bomb in time. Uh, Greer turns the power back on, and the bomb goes off. Having no further use for either of them, Greer kills Collier and is about to take out Harold, but John arrives in the nick of time to save Finch, although he does, he does take a bullet to the shoulder. In our third plot thread... Shaw joins Root at the Samaritan site, narrowly saving her from a guard. The two break in and plant the servers that Root stole and reprogrammed, and narrowly make it out themselves before Desma gets the feeds and Samaritan goes online. In the epilogue, we find out that Root wasn't trying to destroy Samaritan. That wasn't possible. Uh, Instead, she used the servers to program in a blind spot. Samaritan won't see her, Shaw, John, Harold, or any of her team as long as they maintain the cover identities she provides them. Our team goes into hiding as Desma takes out the remaining members of Vigilance, and we end with Samaritan asking Greer for his commands, only to have him respond that their relationship goes the other way around. Um, And Samaritan leaves us with calculating response. Okay. So I want to start this with a prediction. We'll do your season predictions. Okay, okay. After. But first thing, I want you to guess what the covers Root has has come up with for our for for oh, the team. Oh, 
Oh, this is so good. You really, you only need like just the three, just the the just three for the machine team: Harold, John, and, and Shaw. Shaw. Are they the Scoobies? Just, just. Guess what do what, you think? It, what do you think their new identities are? Yeah. Uh, my guess is my guess is going to be something something like each one Dawn for each computing. one. Oh, for, for each, each for, one? For each one. I want you to guess for each one oh, what Christ. new identity they've oh, been Oh, God. Given. No, don't make me do this. I, I, I'm I, not I'm not capable of this. After... Like, don't need a name. Just, like, profession. Oh, okay. Okay. So, profession? Profession? I think I think I can do this. Um, I think Harold is a telemarketer. <laughs> John drives a garbage truck. And... Shaw is a barista. Okay. Shaw uh, was the closest. Okay. Yeah. Shaw was the closest. I I was really hoping that John would be driving a garbage truck. Because, That's very you know, funny. That's, That's very, very funny. funny. Sadly, sadly, the show doesn't have that level of humor. Instead, they have something much more, like much more uh, sadistic in mind for John. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Like, or sorry, I don't, sadistic. For where he ends up working. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I look forward to seeing it. Yeah. You don't have to wait long. It, it's the first episode. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Jude, I see that your your one comment on this is, this is like a four oh shit episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can confirm. Yeah. Yes. Um, we pour, pour one out for, for Hirsch, as we've already discussed. Yeah. 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 Um, he 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 died he died as he lived doing his job and being angry at everyone else. Yes. Oh uh, my We my stand. Favorite, so many good Hirsch moments on in this. Like wow, the 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 scene at the start where he's just like cold-heartedly murdering everyone and then he just turns around to John and Sean and just like what? You, are you judging me for just like shooting this dude while he's already on the ground? And they're like, we could have asked them questions. And he's like, they're decimate. They're going to throw themselves out a window. Yeah. Which, Accurate. I and, mean, this is the most you have two party. You have two different RPG groups and you've put them together for the first time. Energy. <laughs> And when and when he steal when he steals the bike to hand it to Shaw. Yeah. This episode to me is so buckwild because there's so much going on and there's it's so chaotic. But Greer is This is one of those episodes that feels like how could anybody have possibly planned this? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it also very much feels like the kind of thing Greer would plan. Yeah. Like that. I, I like having him as the kind of like spider spider in the web on, yeah. on all of this stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it definitely with at least where we end up here, it was, it's one of those things where if it was it, where if it was a retcon to make vigilance a tool of Greer's, then it was executed so subtly and like, you know, effortlessly that it was well done. So it's one of those things where from a Watsonian perspective, oh, hey, this looks, you know, wow, this looks great. And from a Doyle's perspective, we could have no idea. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, who knows? But it works, you know. And you know, nothing wrong with a good retcon. Mm-hmm. Just make it make sense. Yeah, I I think that like overall, I think the the idea of control or sorry of decima first shutting down the machine or making it uh, making it to a point where it's unreliable enough that the government would need to get a second like would start questioning the source of it mm-hmm. leaking the existence of the machine and then because it's like you could still use the machine you could just rename the program or something and hide it under a black budget right but it gives enough of an opportunity for De- for decima to swoop in and say hey we got this new thing here. Mm-hmm. And if you and we're corporations, so you get plausible deniability. Yeah. God, it's so it's so evil. The whole idea of telling a politician, you can have what you want, you can ask questions this time, and now it's not now it doesn't fall back on you. Now it's an evil corporation that's yeah. doing it. And yeah. all you have to do is pay us to spy on the entire citizenry of the United States. Yep. Yep. One of my absolute favorite parts of this episode is uh, Bear's vest. Yes. Oh yeah. Where there's a, there's a shot where Bear is in his little ballistic vest and he has a gun in his mouth and he's like he's he's hurrying over to John to deliver him a gun and it's like oh what a good boy yeah he's such a good boy Bear makes this show so good yeah yeah it really does elevate the show that they have this good dog on the show. Yes. We've got we've got a bunch of good lines in this too. Like it's actually it's actually an episode that's filled with pretty good quips. Like we've got the we've got the moment where everybody's talking about the machine and Fusco's there and he's like, <laughs> What machine? And they just ignore him. Yeah, they're they're like, You you don't belong in this conversation, sorry. You're in a different genre. Um <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's fine. Oh, and in one of the flashbacks. I forgot about that until this this watch through. And it's it's so good. Poor, poor Fusco. Yeah, we're three seasons in. He still has no fucking clue. Um, Not not no fucking clue, but he's like, he still doesn't know what is going on here. In one of the flashbacks, one of the Vigilance members says, you can't tell a search engine for the NSA. And the, another guy replies, don't be evil, my ass. Which, oh, as somebody that's... who lived and worked in Bounty for several years, cackling my ass off. Yeah. And and, and meanwhile, like, I, I don't have that specific experience, but I'm like, wow, that that really takes me back because uh, yeah, remember that is when... no longer the motto. And uh, that... That change was not publicized. Yeah, um, for for folks who might not know, "Don't be evil" was the like I don't think it was the official motto, but it was yeah. it was like the the unofficial like workplace motto of Google. But it, well, yep. it was in like it was in like their it was a documented part yeah. of their like yes. their corporate like manifesto though, and yeah. then the the founders left the company, and the company like very quietly was like, "Well, we can't we can't do business with China." And the Russia and sell sell your data to the government and do all these things while still also not being evil. So we'll just take that out. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, it's hard to uh, hard to get away with uh, supporting human rights violations uh, while not being evil. So we'll just take out the not being evil part rather than not supporting human rights violations. But yeah, that that really takes me back. Like, I re- I remember when like I liked Google. 
Boy, that was a long time ago. Remember that? Fuck. I don't know. I, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that. I mean, back when I was like 20, I liked Google. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, I have, you know, working in downtown Mountain View and being exposed to Google employees multiple times a day soured any impression I had of Google. <laughs> Though I will say, I will That's say, the, pl- the place I worked was, it was like, it was a bookstore that was like half staffed by wags of Google. Um, employees uh, like very like very like it was it was like weird there were like three or four people who i worked with like on a daily basis who were part like spouses of google employees ah uh, yes the and it's the it's the like academia trailing spouse thing mm. yeah. who all of them were lovely but it was just the random google employees who yeah <laughs> f right off with that um and then they have their they have their freaking cars everywhere, like just trying to map everything. And yeah, well, better than Tesla. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Something that I appreciate, just um, first of all, Leslie Odom Jr. knocking it out of the park in this episode. Yeah, um, yeah. absolutely. Like this is this is pre Hamilton, but like he is on fire here. And the point where he just like he's. He's ranting and raving and ranting and raving. And then he just like the point where he just like turns around and just blasts the dude on the stand with the shotgun. It was honestly shocking. Like, you know, that it's it's not like I didn't expect in some way something like that to happen. But like the way that he just turns on a dime and shoots the dude. He is Somebody who had a very specific idea of how this night was going to go, and it is not going that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and control control um, the one who plays control does a fantastic job of acting like versus him. Um, they they I mean they honestly have pretty great chemistry together on the screen. Yeah. Um, there's the point at the end where Collier is about to execute everybody. And he lines up on Harold first because he created the machine. And he is like, and the hesitation he has, because Harold like has been decent to him in their interactions. Like, even what they are. And honestly, he has been truthful on a level that like no one else has with Collier, which is wild. Mm-hmm. Um it's it's a it's a really good moment where it's just like he's like the only person. The, fir- the the person who is the target is like the person who actually feels remorse over this and yeah. and who is the person who like is the only person who actually struggles with this decision um which is fa- which is fascinating to me yeah. because i mean here is the episode like this is the episode where Harold re- like learns that like you know where or where Collier turns on him because he's like I just give them a number and he's like, so you paint people as, you know, you paint people as guilty before they're even charged or before they're even investigated. And Harold tries to rationalize that. And he's like, no, you're dealing with the United States security service. Everybody is guilty in their eyes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really interested. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing where Harold goes from here, because Mm. I don't think he, up until this moment, contemplated the possibility of something like what happened to Collier's brother happening. Mm-hmm. 
I think that he, you know, had the idea that, you know, sometimes the number would spit out, you know, directly a terrorist and, you know, then Shaw would go shoot that person. Like, maybe that's something that, like, he probably factored that in his head mm-hmm. to some degree. Maybe, I mean, questionable even to what degree he factored that into his head. But he's so, in some ways, he's just flabbergasted that this this is something that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sh- it shows like how naive he was in many ways in the creation of the machine. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, the overall, this is the this is the culmination of hey, if you give the government a, if you if you give the government a, a you know a metal detector, they're going to use that to find bombs. Yeah, um, it's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, let's see what else. Do- we've got we've got another good line of yeah. uh, the time has come for your God and mine to do battle. <laughs> Man, Which, Greer, wait, 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 God, what, what a pretentious butt! But, yeah. I love I love Greer. He is a he is just a he, my my bad is like I had a classical education. I am not letting this to go to use. I have been a genre program. And he's like, Greer knows that he is in a sci-fi spy thriller. Yeah. He's the, the only the one, one who does, apparently. The one the one thing that, like, you know, the one thing that I feel like would be sort of a missed opportunity for, like, a really, like, great pretentious line um, is when he's talking about, when he's revealing wh- what he did with Vigilance. He makes a, he makes a, like he has a phrase about like your grassroots movement was really you know me controlling you honestly wasted opportunity for a line like your grassroots movement was in fact my carefully cultivated lawn or like <laughs> something completely over the top i think there's a point where you tr- where if you do that he turns into a bond villain <laughs> and i don't think they want like he's not a bond yeah. villain that's the thing it's right, like right right He's so close to saying something like that line. And I think part of that is that he's always like, part of that is just his voice and and like the way he speaks, but it Mm -hmm. feels like he's always on the edge of saying something incredibly scathing. And, and he, and he does say stuff like it's time for your God and mine to do battle. Yeah. He says shit like that. Well, and I think it's also because since, Star Wars, Americans have been conditioned to expect people uh, people with British RP accents to say menacing things in a, in a civilized fashion. Maybe since before, but that's my earliest like association oh, with yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I love a good British man being menacing. <laughs> also, there's a scene there, there's a scene where they're infiltrating the Decima like server facility where. Shaw just puts a triangle choke on a dude, and my um, notes are just bark, bark, woof, 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 <laughs> and I'm not proud of myself. <laughs> um, uh, and the 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 thing where they, in order to sneak into the facility, they each have to like put a RFID chip in their know, arms. This, yeah, and roots work smoothly, and Shaw's like doesn't work the first couple of times she scans it and then she ends up smacking her arm to get it to work <laughs> and it's like that is that is just that's exactly what Shaw would do yeah yeah 
there there are a couple of things that I would like to call out. Mm-hmm. The first is a cinema like cinematography sort of thing. Yeah. Um that I thought was a really nice detail with the whole city being blacked out. They make a point of showing the stars and how bright they are. Yeah. And that's a really interesting thing um because you know the night sky if you go to a place that doesn't have light pollution is incredibly bright. Um, and you can see a lot of stars. Um, and also, you know, especially if the moon is out, you have surprisingly good visibility outside. Um, and it's, it's something that like, I feel like a lot of, you know, a lot of modern cinematography shows dark, shows that it is dark by making the scene dark. And this doesn't fall into that trap. And because a lot of it is that, like, they don't – and part of it is, like, how you light the scene. Right. Yeah. Like, like – Because cause it's, like I, – I know that, like, a lot of, like, ones now will, like, you know, like, they don't shoot at night, but they'll, like, shoot under normal conditions and do it afterwards. Right. That's buck wild. Which is the, pro- which is the problem. Yeah. Because then they're, then they're leveling everything out. Yeah. Versus, like, here – um they've got they've got deep shadows on all of the night scenes but they also have highlights you can see everything clearly you can see bear carrying the gun in his mouth you know on like a regular television that's not like 80 inches of OLED yeah the the other thing the other thing that i uh i can't take credit for noticing this um my husband is the one who noticed this there is a there is a few frames that show Collier becoming Collier and joining Vigilance from machine view. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that that was very interesting to me. I mean, because all the flashbacks are presented from nominally the machine's perspective. Yeah, well, like that. There's a lot of there's a lot of scenes in that flashback that are that are cinematic, you know, cinematic view. Yeah. But then there's one that. There's one where specifically it's machine view with the with the people highlighted in white squares. Yeah. And it's it was fascinating to me that the machine, in fact, essentially witnessed this. Mm-hmm. I I do something that I uh there there's like a the last like five minutes of this episode have like a bunch of lines that immediately that jump out to me where Harold is getting his gunshot treated. He uh, somebody says or he says why would you ever take a job? Why would you ever perform a duty in which this was an occupational hazard? And John says, I tried to, I tried to quit, but some jackass told me I needed a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> the interest, and we learned something interesting, like, in, like almost the next, in the next scene, that the divergence point is that Samaritan was, could not have been prevented once they decided not to kill McCourt. Yep. Which, I mean, is interesting because it's like they, they made, I mean, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't even want to try to judge the ethics of that. Uh, but, you know. Yeah. And of course, it's the, the episode ends with Greer basically, you know, subsuming himself to his new god. He says, the question is, my dear Samaritan, what are your commands for us? Yeah. There's also the, there's also the Pandora's box. Oh yeah, where 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 Shaw or, or, or relates the 
Myth of Pandora's box and says that after yeah. all the evils of the world escape, at the that one thing remained in Pandora's box, which was hope. Which yeah, I yeah. mean gosh. I'm the the next two seasons are they're interesting because like they're they're an acceleration. And the the fact of the matter is is that because season five is a little bit shorter than the others, is that like season four will have its contained arcs, but season four and five are, you know, this big entities that are that are basically the third act of the show at this point. Mm-hmm. We're we're basically done with act two. We are it's we have number of the week territory, the building of Samaritan, and the war in heaven. Yeah, the show is effectively borrow a phrase from our last series. Yeah, yep. The show is effectively science. It is not. It has stopped being a procedural at all in season starting in season four, and when it is a procedural, it is as a sort of like format cover for other things. It's a science fiction show about AI now. Yeah, it's a it's a cyber thriller. Yeah. Well, and and is becoming more and more cyberpunk too. Yeah. That you know we've got we've got two warring AIs at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Root is a netrunner. <laughs> yeah. She, she's got a cybernetic augment that lets her connect to the internet via her God. brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know that you know, we're we're getting. Um. It's it's like edging edging more and more cyberpunk and i'm i'm going to be interested to see that that thread yeah oh just wait (laughs) all right uh let's close this out with anna's predictions for next season yes beyond who gets what identity all right um so i don't think that root's gonna survive next season oh you're you're spicy prediction she has already signed she has already signed herself up for one suicide mission here that she she I she went into that Samaritan complex not expecting to leave. Um that she was there to protect the others and that was it. That was gonna be all all she wrote. Mm-hmm. Um thankfully Shaw saved her, but I don't I you know, I think that that's gonna repeat and Shaw might not be there in time. I think that there's going to be an ongoing theme that I think we're going to be talking a lot about the differences in the two AIs and how they operate and how they perceive the world. And I think that a ongoing theme will be that the way that Harold made his machine work was by teaching it kindness and the value of human life, essentially. Mm-hmm. That, you know, when we're talking about no algorithm is without bias, um, that's one of the biases that he put into it. And I think that, so one prediction that's a little bit wild, um, I think that our team is going to end up allying with control after she realizes that Samaritan is, in fact, bad news. All right. And my last one is that Samaritan will kill Greer after determining him to be a threat to its system. These are some fascinating predictions. Cool. Okay, so we've got you, four. You, hey, I had I had time to work on these. I thought I thought about them. Mm-hmm. Um, I I hope you both think that they are you know interesting and. I think they are all. Yeah, they're they're all they're all very interesting, and they're all I think with reasonable support in the text. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, and also Kara's going to come back. 
<laughs> Not writing that down. <laughs> you can believe, but uh... no, I. Hey, hey, you both have you both have bits that you live and die by. I can have one I too. Anna can has a bit as a treat. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Respect. Uh, Respect. Okay. Anything else that we want to get off our plate? Beyond teasing that we know that we know what the series that we're going to do after Person of Interest is, um, but we're not telling you yet. Yes, we do know. So with that out of the way, we're going to move into season four. Um, and next time we will be covering episodes one and two of season four, Panopticon and Nautilus. Until next time, you are being watched. Do-do-do-do-do. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. 